and, and welcome. Can I welcome you all? Can, can I say thanks for coming today? Lovely to see some old friends and lovely to see some new friends as well. So you are very welcome. And we've had a break from our 13-week Hebrew series, but now we are back. Um, we've been making our way through this book of Hebrews, digging deeper, chapter by chapter, theme by theme, into this amazing book of the Bible. And each week, we're asking how the book of Hebrews can help us grow towards the mandate that God gave the church at Junction 10 in 2013 to build a community with Jesus at the centre. And if I do a quick recap... Uh, week one, Vicky introduced the series and looked at the revelation of Jesus that's within the book. And she encouraged us as we move through this 13-week series to move from milk to meat. Then Rachel looked at chapter two, Jesus, the greater man. Uh, chapter three, Joe Clark took this and looked at Jesus, a greater Moses. Um, Mary Banks looked at week four, a greater rest. Uh, Roy Masters took chapter 5, A Greater Son. And just before we broke up for Mothering Sunday and Easter, Phil Miles looked at A Greater Promise. And you can pick all those up on podcasts, go onto iTunes, uh, and you can pick those up if you miss them. Um, but today, we're in week 7, and I want to read to you the very end of Hebrews chapter 6, because this is the start of the main thought for Hebrews 7. And you may or may not know, but the chapters in the Bible are something that were added later on. The original scriptures don't include chapters. So sometimes when we look at a chapter, um, it, it artificially breaks up a thought. So today, although I'm in Hebrews 7, I'm actually going to be bumping around Hebrews a bit because this theme of Jesus as a greater priest uh, actually occupies quite a number of chapters. But Hebrews 6 the last two verses, verses 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Amen. And some have suggested that this book of Hebrews, this dazzling piece of biblical literature, was written by the Apostle Paul. But many dispute that. But regardless of which human being penned Hebrews, we believe that God is the divine author of Scripture. And so we can be sure that this piece of Scripture is Holy Spirit breathed. Do you agree? Yes. Okay. So, Hebrews was written in a particular context, at a particular time, for a particular audience, in a particular language. Now, I came across another very important piece of literature of our time, for our audience, in our language, sort of. The Black Country Joke Book. And here's an excerpt. Ainuk and Eli, oh, let's get the accent right, Ainuk and Eli, They've been left a pair of osses, that's horses for the posh ones of you, when their dad died. And the problem is that neither of them can tell them apart. Ainuk decides during the night to cut the tail off one of the osses. But the next morning they come down and Eli had done the same thing. So neither could be told apart. The next night Eli decides to cut the mane off one of the osses. But the next morning, they come down and Ainuk had done the same thing, so neither could be told apart. 
Einuk turns to Aloy and says, tell you what, you are the black and all are the white and. Now, can you imagine someone in Africa or India in 2,000 years' time finding the black country joke book and trying to make sense of it? I can tell some of you from Sutton Coalfield and Aldridge are also having that problem today. But I am pleased to say that the posher ones of Wombourne do get the joke. Is that right? Thank you. Yet nearly a thousand years after the book of Hebrews was written by a Jew for a Jewish audience in a Jewish culture, in a different language, here we are trying to make sense of it. Now my talk today is called A Greater Priest and it's particularly challenging because we now exist not only in a different time and a completely different culture but in a completely different religious context. And compared to the readers of the letter to the Hebrews, we don't have anywhere near the same religious experience or understanding. For example, the audience of the letter, they were living in a time of temple worship, of priests, of regular sacrifices. And quite frankly, we don't. Also, the book of Hebrews relies on the great knowledge of the Torah, that's the first five books of our Old Testament, and the Hebrew boys would have memorized this by the time they were 13 years old. And we don't. But can I make a suggestion? Even though today, in 2019, as Christians, we are New Testament people, can you read your Old Testament? Can you do that, please? Although we're this side of the cross, if we don't understand what happened before the cross, we will miss so much of what the New Testament has to say to us. So please, please read the Old Testament. Now, if you're a new Christian, can I suggest you don't try and do it all in one go, because I, I struggle to do that, you'll struggle to do that. But if you have been a Christian for a length of time, let me ask you, when was the last time you really dug into the Old Testament? Can I ask you, when was the last time you read it from start to finish? Not saying this for guilt or anything else or shame, but I was challenged by this because of it's been ages since I'd read the Old Testament. So at the start of this year, as a commitment to my uh, ministry to Junction 10, I decided I would start to read through the Old Testament and tried at least to get through the first five books of the Bible by the time I preached today. And Genesis was okay. That's interesting. And Exodus was all right. And then, oh, my life. Oh, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, every morning. Oh. But I eventually got to Joshua and Judges where I am now. And can I say, actually, although I make a bit of jest at that, God has been speaking very richly to me through these books of the Bible. So can I say that not as, as, as shame, but as an encouragement to you, Junction 10. Um, and it's in these first five books of the Bible, the Torah, or as we call it, the Pentateuch, that we begin to learn about what it means to be a priest. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to break this talk down into the following three simple points. What about priests? All about Jesus? And what about us? And we're going to need to dig into some pretty heavy, meaty stuff. So why don't you ask the Holy Spirit right now, why don't we ask him to help us? Holy Spirit, perhaps you would show us how something in this talk can help people here, the church at Junction 10, every individual, 
to put Jesus firmly at the center. I pray that these would be words of life. I pray that you'd help us to have attentiveness and understanding through some of the more difficult things and that you would open the scriptures up to us. Let your words come to life, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, firstly, what about priests? If we're to understand what it means for Jesus to be a greater priest, we need to understand the role of priests in the Bible. And as my friend Roy Masters said a few weeks back, Old Testament priests were mediators between God and man. God had been with Moses and his people when they left the slavery of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they were heading towards the Promised Land. Uh, there'd been a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to show God's presence with them. And Moses, it says in the Bible, spoke to God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. However, the people were afraid of God and so they needed a mediator. Now, earlier in the story, when Moses had encountered God at the burning bush, Moses had resisted God's instruction to go to Egypt and ask Pharaoh to let my people go. And as a concession, God allowed Aaron, is it Aaron or Aaron? Aaron. God allowed Aaron, Moses' older brother, to go with Moses. And so although Moses became Israel's leader, Aaron became their high priest. And in Leviticus 8 verse 12 Moses poured some of the anointing oil, a, a picture of the Holy Spirit, on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him as priest. And Psalm 133, I wanted to read this to you because it's got this beautiful picture. And remember that oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity it is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard running down on Aaron's beard down onto the collar of his robe it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion for there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore where people live in unity God commands a blessing now, every priest that came after Aaron had to come from Aaron's tribe, which was? Thank you. The Levites. <laughs> Not a trick question. Um, this is where the book of Leviticus comes from. It gets its name because it came from Levi. And this book is the book that gives all those detailed instruction about the priestly duties. That's why it's so hard going. But if I condense it all down for you, what this book says is that the primary function of a priest was to minister to God and to mediate for God's people. To minister to God and to mediate for his people. The priests were the supreme religious leaders of the Israelites. And it was their job to protect the Israelites from sin and to offer sacrifices, blood sacrifices, that people brought to the temple as an atonement for sin, as an aside, atonement is a word that means the forgiving or the pardoning of sin. And throughout the whole of the Old Testament, we get this idea that because of this original sin, when Adam and Eve in the garden rebelled and turned from God and disobeyed God, then there is a need 
to deal with the sin. And the only way to do that is through sacrifice. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says this. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now I want to suggest to you that priesthood is a very high honour. And it's an amazing gift from God. God said to Aaron in Numbers 18 verse 7, I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Priesthood is a gift. So, priests are the mediators between God and people. They have a responsibility for uh, offering sacrifices and dealing with sin. And priesthood is an honour and a gift. Is that okay so far? So that's number one done. What about number two? All about Jesus. Now we can't tackle and understand Hebrews 7 and what it's trying to say without asking the question, who on earth was Melchizedek? Because Hebrews compares Jesus with Melchizedek, who's a picture of Jesus. So we need to understand who is this mysterious Melchizedek and why the writer of Hebrews compares Jesus to him. Now, Melchizedek is one of the most intriguing, mysterious characters in Scripture. He's only mentioned in three books of the Bible, very briefly in Genesis, very briefly in Psalms, and then a little bit more in Hebrews. In fact, the most information about Melchizedek is found in our Hebrews 7 chapter. So let's have a look at the start of Hebrews 7, verse 1 to 3. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And thanks, Kev, for getting everybody to bless each other this morning. That was really good. Really, really blessed. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So first, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. So we're already starting to see how this is a picture of Jesus, king of righteousness, king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of, li day of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Hebrews is drawing from the very first bit of the Bible, the first book of Genesis, chapter 14, verses 8 to 20, when it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham. That's all Genesis has to say about Melchizedek. Two very short sentences. So why does the writer of Hebrews even mention Melchizedek? Why is Hebrews 7 focused on this person who appears very briefly in an early book of the Bible? Well, because Hebrews is showing us that like Melchizedek, Jesus, our king of peace, is both a king and a priest. King Jesus, high priest Jesus. But the Jewish people would have had a real, real problem with this. They couldn't see Jesus as a priest because he came from the line of David. And David belonged to the tribe of Judah and not to the tribe of Levi. And priests, according to what we heard earlier, 
had to be Levites. So how could Jesus be a priest? Well, in a bit of brilliant theological thinking, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the scriptures before Moses, before the law, before the priestly line of Aaron, before the Levites had been established as priests, and he goes right the way back to the father of Israel, to Abraham, and shows that Jesus was a greater type of priest than a Levitical priest. He, our Jesus, our Lord, was in the order of Melchizedek. So let's get back into Hebrews 7 and read a little more from verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? 18. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and it was useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God, verse 24, because Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Can I get an amen? You see, Jesus changes everything. When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled everything the law demanded. This is why we as Christians no longer have to observe the sacrificial laws laid down in the Old Testament. That's good news. But it gets even better. We now, as we heard earlier, have direct access to the throne room of God. Hallelujah. Now, I'm reading a book by Richard Foster on prayer, and God has wonderfully orchestrated it so that I read this lovely passage that I'd like to share with you. So this is Richard Foster on prayer. No relationship, by the way. He's far cleverer than me. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is our high priest. And as you know, the function of the high priest in ancient Israel was to intercede before God on behalf of the people. Do we realise what that means? Today, as we carry on the activities of our lives, Jesus Christ is praying for us. Tonight, as we sleep through the long darkness, Jesus Christ is praying for us. Continual prayer is being offered at the throne of God on our behalf by none other than the Eternal Son. You are being prayed for right now we can rest in the work of the son that he does on our own behalf 
but the best is yet to come. Hard as it may be for us to imagine, God is in everlasting communion with himself through our stumbling, bumbling prayers. When we speak to God, it's really God who lives in us speaking through us to himself. The dialogue of grace is really the monologue of the divine nature in self-communing love. How incredible, how beyond belief. We pray, and yet it's not we who pray, but a greater one who prays in us. And so we have this activity of everlasting trinity focused around our frail prayers. God the Spirit is interpreting our sighs and groans before the throne of heaven. God the Son is interceding on our behalf before the throne of heaven. And God the Father, who sits on the throne of heaven, is using our prayers to form perfect communion, God speaking to God. With such divine aid, are we not able to relax our tight-fisted hold of life? Are we not able to release our urgent desire to succeed in prayer? Are we not able to yield to the divine? Are we not able to trust him to lead us into fuller, richer communion? It's a beautiful piece of writing by Richard Foster. You see, that's why the Old Testament is important. It's important because it gives us a pattern or a shadow of how things work in heaven. It's the closest clue we have on earth to what's happening in heaven. Let me read Hebrews 8, verse 1 to 5 to you. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it was necessary for this one, Jesus, also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is, get this, a copy and a shadow of what's in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior, it's greater to theirs. So I've given you a lot to take in, some of it quite tough, difficult stuff, Um, And you probably need to go away and have a ponder and a read, have a look at Hebrews 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, read Hebrews, go back into the Old Testament, read Genesis, read a few of those scriptures for yourself. But it brings us to the final of my three points. We've looked at what about priests, we've looked at all about Jesus. Thirdly and finally, what about us? If we are to grow, as Junction 10, a people committed to building community with Jesus at the centre. What does all of this talk about priests mean for us? Well, firstly, I want to talk about our salvation. Hebrews explains that Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. Once and for all, it paid the penalty for sin. Through Jesus' death on the cross, the curtain, the veil, 
people. The gap between God and us has been forever torn in two. And we no longer have to come to God through earthly priests. And that is very good news. And if you've never put your faith in the truth that's Jesus, if you've never experienced the life that he offers, if you've never followed his way, I want to give you an invitation today. It's by grace. It's a completely free gift. But you can be saved. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that free gift of eternal salvation, of a life in Christ, is there for you today. But for those of us who've already put our faith in Jesus, whether that was 90 seconds or 90 years ago, then the critical thing that I want everyone here to take away today, even if everything else I've said gets forgotten, this is what I want you to remember. So can you listen up? You are called to be a priest and a king or a queen. You are called to be a priest and a king or a queen. You. 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 I'm speaking to you. Not to you, but to each one of you. Sitting here today in the church at Junction 10, that just after 20 past 12, Darleston, Grace Academy, Sunday the 28th of April. You see, putting our faith in Jesus is not about a one-time-only decision that we make so that we get to go to heaven. Our conversion to salvation is just a single point on a long journey of us working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Hebrews 6 verse 9 says, Jesus has now become the source of of our eternal salvation, to all those who listen and obey. So there's a condition on our salvation there. Putting our faith in Jesus is not just a single decision, it's a day-by-day decision to listen and obey. And critical to that journey is living our life from our new identity, Inhabiting this new identity is crucial because we need to understand who we are in Christ if we're to listen and obey him as disciples. We're called to more and more be conformed to the image of Christ, our great high priest. We have an assignment on earth. Our assignment on earth is to submit to the process of being transformed into Christ's likeness. Day by day by day, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in the characteristics of our Lord, following his footsteps so that we become conformed to the image of the Son. And we need to understand this identity because like Jesus, we are called to be a royal priesthood. Every single one of us is called to be a priest. And that means our primary purpose, if we think back to what I was saying earlier, is to minister to God in worship and prayer. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And right at the end of the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, makes this point. You have made them, that's us, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. The Bible tells us that the body of Christ is a temple of living stones. And your body, my body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus offered his body as a once and for all sacrifice, we are too called to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. That's Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Not that we should go and have our bodies crucified, but you've heard on the news a number of people are losing their lives for their faith in Jesus. Not that that's what we're necessarily called to, but that we should take up our cross daily, dying to self and submitting to the way of Jesus, seeking first his kingdom, offering spiritual sacrifices of loving God with sacrifices and prayer and praise and sacrificial service to others. Loving our neighbour as ourself, washing their feet, serving their deepest needs as though we ourselves are the hands and feet and hearts of Jesus. This is all a pattern of heaven because one day at the end of the age, Revelation 22 tells us we will be serving God in eternity for eternity. And I'm nearly done. But not only did this Jesus, our high priest, make us priests we are seated in heavenly places we have been given his authority to reign on earth when we become christians we not only have a great new priest ministering for us there's a new power operating in us the indwelling power the presence of the spirit of jesus he sends his holy spirit amen and this is why every believer, every person here at Junction 10 needs to be in full-time ministry. Did you get that? Every person here at Junction 10 needs to be in full-time ministry. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that everyone will be on staff at the church. I'm not saying that everyone will be a pastor or be in paid ministry employment. But we are a priesthood of all believers. And I just want to clarify something because sometimes we get a bit mixed up over this idea of a priesthood of all believers because we are all equal in the sight of God. We are all equal in value and significance, but we are unequal in function and responsibility. We're all one spirit, but we have different callings and different gifts. So, for example, just because we're a priest of all believers doesn't mean that everyone is called to be a pastor or an elder or a teacher. The person attending a journey group on a Thursday night or serving drinks on a Sunday or putting the chairs out for us is of equal value and importance and significance to a pastor or an elder. But the Bible sets out some very different and clear functions and responsibilities and requirements of different types of roles. We all have the same value and significance in God's eyes, but God places within us different gifts. He anoints us for different callings. And can I say, we need all of those operating, every single one. This is to be something that we do 
as a sacrifice of service, serving each other with our gifts and our callings. In the body of Christ, some are called to be hands, some are called to be feet, some are eyes, some are ears, but some are the internal organs. And 1 Corinthians 12 says that God places special honour on those weaker and unseen parts of the body because without those, the body wouldn't function. So there's people who stand at the front and do the worship and all these things, and they, and they get seen. But can I say, those people who are doing all that work, unseen behind the scenes, you are valued, you are significant, you are important. Everyone. Whatever God has called us to, we are to be in full-time ministry. In our spheres of influence, whether that's our vocation, our employment, or our marriages, or our singleness, our family, or our parenthood, our friendship groups, our communities. And the one common task that we have as ministers, as priests, is prayer. Particularly praying for others. Richard Foster says, intercessory prayer, that's praying for other people on behalf of other people, is the priestly ministry, the universal priesthood of all Christians. So as priests appointed and anointed by God, we have the honour of going before the Most High on behalf of others. And Richard Foster says, this is not optional, this is a sacred obligation to all of those who take up the yoke of Christ. So a community with Jesus at the centre will be a people who grow and persist every day in praying for themselves and for others. So as you see, our call to holiness isn't just about coming to church on a Sunday or doing the Christian things like reading our Bible or going to a journey group. Those are all important things. They're important to our spiritual discipleship and our spiritual formation. But we are 24 hours a day, seven days a week, called to be priests and to reign in the calling God has gifted us. Time is up. As we get the band back, I just want to hand over to Kev now. But I want to say, in all of that, there might have just been one thing that got your attention. There might be one thing that the Holy Spirit nudged you about. It might have made you feel uncomfortable. Or is there something the Holy Spirit has convicted you about? We're going to have a, a time of song now. We're going to take up our offerings and tithes, and then Kev's going to close the surface for us. Shall we stand together?